Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation with two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and the world of pop culture. So we decided to combine the two. I'm Kara Kirby. And I'm Virginia Martinez. We work with organizations all over the world to inspire and implement people-first practices. We're here to talk about navigating the workplace, and we do it through the lens of great television. Our first two seasons are dedicated to Ted Lasso. Join us as we unpack the leadership lessons in each episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode seven of season two of Ted Lasso, and it is titled Headspace. So where we just left off was the team actually won a really, really amazing championship. Spirits are high, but of course, Ted left during the game because he had a panic attack. And so we have a whole nother storyline going of Ted trying to figure out like what's going on with him. So this episode, um, there's a lot of information and focus on Nate and what's going on with Nate because Nate had his time in the sun. He made a really, really great decision and now he's getting all this positive press. And so we see him try to oppress his father with it and his journey with that. And then anyways, we'll talk, we'll, we, of course, I feel like we talk about Nate all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Nate. I, I have more sympathy for him, but we'll talk about, we'll talk about Nate. And then also a big theme in this episode is Keely and Roy's relationship and Keely being able to talk about what she needs. And we could probably talk for days on that too. And before we get kicked off, because I have a question for you, I just want to say mm-hmm. something. Isn't it so nice when you watch an episode of television and you know that there were women at the writing table? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this episode like every second of it i'm like thank y'all for having women writers like our struggles are there of like how hard it is to talk sometimes like Mm -hmm. the things that we're actually attracted to to in men are (laughs) we see on the episode like anyways the ted lasso writers thank you for having women at the table and accurately describing the things that we experience yeah it makes the writing to me so much better because all of the characters not just the female characters are represented well all of the characters have such depth and complexity and it's not and i'm not saying men are incapable of this but you can tell that there were diverse perspectives involved in developing these characters and these plots and this dialogue it is it is multi-dimensional And I think that's what people love about Ted Lasso, like how deep it is, how we can manage to touch on so many emotions in just one episode. And just like on any team coming up with really great ideas, you need the perspective, like you need to be able to look at it from all different angles, which means having people on your team with different perspectives. And so like, I, yes, I applaud this whole writing team and it is apparent as as you say that there are women on the team. All right, let's get Nate out of the way. Um, so, what do you think? I know going it's on? like I, it's, I, it's like as much as I love talking about Nate, I'm almost getting sick of talking. I about know him. No, it's like talking about like people who are like you know unskilled leaders. I'm like, all right, you're all going through the same shit. <laughs> yeah, and we also kind of know that this, like, because we know how the season ends, it's not like you know not to ruin anything for anyone. It's like not, it's not like. Nate's going to see light at the end of the tunnel. Nate is going 
further and further to the dark side. So, um, but we will definitely continue to touch on this like journey, but um, okay, let's, let's get it out of the way. I obviously all this Twittering and this nickname he has has gone to his head. He feels really good about himself. Right. But he's also still being mean to other people like it's not he can't like that's the thing there's like this restlessness with it there's never like a it never sits right because it doesn't feel right and so he can never just settle into feeling confident about himself so it's never enough and Nate I think in my I could be wrong but I interpret Nate as someone who um is is very hierarchical and in his attempt to climb that ladder makes a big deal of people on the rungs below him and or tries to treat people or remind them that they're below him. And I don't love that. Mm-hmm. Right. We see how he treats um, the new equipment manager. Who's like so sweet. <laughs> My God, that kid is so nice. And how he treats Colin. It's I, it, anyway, I, I'm actually so annoyed with Nate in this episode that I like, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> you take it over. <laughs> I think we need to develop some content of like new manager material and it's just around the mistakes that Nate makes. Like I think that like (laughs) I don't like to focus on the negative, but I do think it's like, hey, y'all, you're all going to do this. And here is (laughs) unless you start reading, unless you start learning, these are the mistakes you're going to make. Meet Nate. So, um, yeah, so there's there's a scene with Nate, and I think that there's a lot of really important things in this scene because we see candid feedback from Beard. We see an apology. We see a lot of interesting things happen when it comes to human relationships. So what happens is, is that Colin, you know, one of the players who isn't a superstar, comes up to talk to Nate. And Nate, you know, now on his high horse is like, listen, Colin these Jamie, these, you know, Sam, these other players, they are like prestigious artists. You're like a painting that would be up at a holiday inn, right? Like he's just talking down to him, trying to make him feel like crap. And then what we see as the viewers is that Beard sees him. So Beard goes and he confronts Nate and he's like, listen, that was mean and that was weird and you need to do better. Yeah. And it was personal. Yeah, it was personal. Oh, yeah, that was that was powerful of it, too. It was personal and it was mean and it was weird. You need to do better. Yeah. And so it takes the wind out of his sails and he actually apologizes. Right. You're like, OK, maybe maybe he's going to learn. Question. Do you think it was a sincere apology? I do. I I, I have faith. I I think actually it's funny because he goes on the field and the and and Nate and Nate was like I want to talk about my my behavior lately and they're like you know how you're being a prick and an asshole and then Sam goes yeah. a wo- a wounded butterfly <laughs> yeah like I think that Nate is a wounded butterfly so I have I still have faith in him my faith that he has can turn it around like yeah there's two things there like you think one, he's fake um, you think it was fake I think he did it out of obligation because again this hierarchy thing he sees beard as someone superior to him Mm, he's doing what he was told 
he was like, are you going to tell Ted? Are you going to tell? Like, he's worried about getting in trouble. He's not doing it because he sincerely feels bad. He's doing it because he doesn't want to get in trouble or lose his position in this pecking order. I That's my interpretation. And what I thought was really interesting about that is we've talked about this in earlier episodes. It's not just Colin that sees it or Beard. The entire team saw him be really shitty. And they named it. You're like, yeah, we saw that. We witnessed that. And they're and like later on, they're like, well, it's a good thing you apologize because we have a gift for you that we wouldn't have given you had you not apologized. So like he is being observed. His behavior is being observed. And I think he only apologized for that. Like not because he sincerely feels bad. Because he got caught. Because he got caught. Yeah. <clears throat> when I was in... Um... <laughs> I, when I when I first started my career, I had this really amazing leader and like he, he was awesome, but it was in the automotive industry. So he would like the people he would hire to be leaders just like and they were sales leaders. So sales leaders sometimes they just have a hard time. And so like he would have all these asshole like leaders on his team and he would always reprimand them. And because like. <laughs> And so it would always be like, all right, there's another meeting scheduled for this territory. So this leader can apologize to the team for being an asshole. <laughs> like it would happen all the time. Like he would make people go have meetings with their team and apologize for being assholes. And I was like, here we go again. <laughs> you don't see that often, but it was funny. Kind of. But you have to wonder if it's happening all the time. Because, right? okay, we've we've talked about the, the power of a strong apology and what makes a bad apology. And we've talked about what makes a good apology is um, not saying like, well, I'm sorry it upset you. It's like mm -hmm. taking accountability, taking accountability for what you did, acknowledging how it must have hurt the other person. And then the last part, committing to doing better. And so what yes. you're saying, if these meetings happened over and over and over again, you have to wonder how sincere that apology is if the behavior continued. Yeah, that's true. He was kind of telling people that they had to, and I don't, I don't, I don't think it was ever. The, the behaviors never changed, right? It's kind of like the yeah. same thing when organizations get engagement results. Um, I actually was in the airport one time, and I heard, the, "Oh my god, I could have slapped these guys if I was a violent person." But it was like all <laughs> these leaders of a company, and they were like, they like were all having beers, and I was like overhearing them, and they were on their phones reading the. Um, like reading engagement results and then talking about like what lazy pieces of shit people were in their company. And I was like, y'all are what's wrong with the world. <laughs> but often that does happen. Unfortunately, when people get engaged, they like, they discard it. Cause they're like, Oh, well, you know, I had to send this out, but you know, like they're like lazy or they just, they want to take advantage of the company or people are too soft these days. Like instead of being yeah. like, what am I doing? Right. What am I? That like, is making why am I doing way. this? Why yeah. do I think I need to do this? Is there a belief that I could rewire here? So anyways. Oh, All right, Nate. Yes. yes. We're going to stop talking about you on this. Okay, Nate's done. Check. Nate's done for today. He's going to come up again. <laughs> um, okay, one thing. So thinking back, remember when we uh, did our rom-com episode and we were we went on mm -hmm. this like tangent about our favorite movies and... I mentioned, I was like, I don't know if it's a rom-com or not, but I, one of my favorite movies is Groundhog Day. There is a romantic plot line in it. And we talked about our love for Groundhog Day. 
Okay, I bring mm-hmm. that up because the opening scene of this episode is I got you, babe. The alarm clock goes off and oh, that song I got you, babe, which is the song that's that plays a deep ed- cut, Virginia. I love which it. Which is the song that plays every morning in Groundhog Day. And so when people hear the alarm clock and I got you, babe, it's that like you think Groundhog Day, you think repeating the same day over and over and over again, which is a wonderful place to be in when you realize that Keely is kind of losing it because it's like, here's Roy and here's Roy again. And every day is the same and everything is the same. And he's not leaving me alone and I have no space. And so it was, I thought it was great. Whosever idea that was, chef's It was great. Yeah. Brilliant for you figuring that out too. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'm going to go off on this too. The three themes in this episode is that Nate keeps getting in his own way and he's being a terrible manager and making the same mistakes over and over again, which happens all the time in real life. Keely not being able to discuss her needs and, uh, you know, being like so scared that if she actually says what she needs, someone's going to leave her happens all the time. Ted and his reaction to going to therapy and confronting things that are himself and just running away with fight or flight instead happens all the time. It is like these are the groundhog days, uh, groundhog day of human beings is in this episode. Boom. (laughs) Yeah. Hot take. Hot take. take. Um, Let's talk about fight or flight for folks. People have heard it, but they might not know what it actually means or how it even connects to us in the workplace. Do you want to take a stab at it? Yeah, totally. Um, So fight or flight, and what's really interesting now is that we're able to put very empirical science behind what happens to the brains inside of people interacting at work in different situations. And so fight or flight is basically whenever you feel like there's danger. So you like, so what happens to your brain is that all of your neurons, all the blood in your brain goes into the back of your brain and all you want to do is survive. And so you're either fight, you're going to fight. So you get real defensive you flee, you have flight, which is you want to run away. And then there's also freeze. So there's three Fs. So there's fight or flight or freeze. And so whenever, you know, our our subconscious is taking in so much more information than our logical brains could ever possibly understand. And in our brains are really primarily focused on keeping us safe. So if we see danger, and if we're not aware of like our reactions, we're not aware of how our amygdala works, right? Like, like those can be our things. If it's danger, we're either going to fight somebody, we're going to run away, or we're just going to completely freeze up and nothing's going to work. Yeah. And so one thing to keep in note that this is like, you know, the brain was developed to keep us alive and like survive, right? And so back in the days when there was a saber-toothed tiger and we were scared, we would run away or we were fighted or we would play dead, right? So, Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing about the brain is that it cannot distinguish between a physical threat and a psychological threat. This is where we can kind of go off and talk about psychological safety as well, meaning that you can be in the workplace and let's say, what's a workplace threat that would trigger your brain to like Mm. go into survival mode is things like, did that guy just take credit for my idea? All of a sudden you are threatened and your brain cannot distinguish like as if this is a saber tooth tiger or some other threat and it will trigger your brain into fight or flight. And what happens is... It's not all bad, right? Because it helps you be super hyper-focused and reactive 
and make quick decisions often. Maybe pee your pants a little. <clears throat> sure. <laughs> but you have to move fast. You can't, it's not a time to wait. If a saber tooth tiger is coming at you, it's not time to weigh pros and cons and create a spreadsheet. You're going to like make a decision quickly. Same thing in the workplace. So for you always bring this up, sales teams, they are super, they're like hyper-focused. Why? Because there's a quota and they are in survival mode. And so for that often keeps them successful because they're so like fight or flight, fight or flight, like they're so focused. For things that require more creativity or like and I'm not saying that there's no creativity in sales. There is. This is why you need a Can I Let me chime in right yeah. here really quick when it comes to sales, though. So that might have actually worked in like how sales was 10 or 20 years ago when it was on about the individual. But companies are actually running into a lot of problems now where salespeople do need to be creative and, and they're team selling. So team selling is much more common. Yeah. And there's all these problems that are happening because there's they're running models that aren't working anymore. So sales teams actually need to really rethink yeah. the fact that they have all their people in this like fight or flight, unpsychologically safe environment. Totally. And so to um, activate the part of your brain, like literally it lives in a different part of your brain, the part that has creative thinking or can come with like innovative ideas or these super rational, like well thought out like plans means you cannot be in a threatened state. And so you'll hear a lot of managers talk about how you can incentivize your people with a carrot or a stick. And if you constantly use a stick to like threaten people or hang the fear of losing their job over their head. Good luck getting creativity out of them. You might get super hyper-focused reactive work, but not creativity. And then those are the companies that are like, why aren't we innovating anything? It's like, yeah, I have an answer for you. Are you in a place where you would like to hear it? Um, yeah. There's no psychological safety. I heard this really good quote that I think that's good. You can steal this one for anybody that's listening. But if you if you use carrots, expect donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to treat people like machines, expect only the bare minimum status quo, right? You want to use yeah. carrots, you can have a animal that does work, but nothing else. Like that's what you were creating. Yeah. And just bring it back to Ted, just really quickly. So Ted does not like therapy, <laughs> doesn't trust it. And so how this all comes up is that just, he just has this hilarious, but also sad, but also like really awkward way of even interacting with Dr. Sharon, who we love. Um, but what you can tell is he's not comfortable actually mm. going deep like, you know, Ted's awesome, but you can also tell, like, he represses and pushes things down and doesn't want to deal with bad news. And he's really scared of what's going to come up. Yeah, definitely. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to, I mean, he's had some hard things happen in his life that we find out later. And he just does, he's, what's interesting is that he's never addressed it before. Like yeah. he has been living in this, this euphoric state of just trying to forget about his problems and never just meeting them where he's pro like never feeling his feelings, never meeting them head on. There's this yeah. really great quote. So he has three different therapy sessions with Dr. Sharon. He gets a little bit better each time. And on the third one, she has this quote where she says, listen, Ted, I understand self-care can be scary. 
And I think that that's Mm -hmm. such a beautiful message. Like if you have not gone on that journey yet, is that like when you do, it's scary. Like when you go first sit down with therapists or sit down with a counselor, that might be the most scared you ever will be in your entire life, but it gets better after that and and, and it'll completely change your life. Mm -hmm. And he needs not to not just to do this for himself like if you bring it back to like the thing that ted loves the most and coaching and being there for others it is impacting his ability to do the thing that he loves because he's Mm -hmm. having panic attacks right um and that's people have that that's not a bad thing but he it is time for him to take care of himself where he's always been taking care of others yeah totally okay So let's talk about Keely. So this is Mm -hmm. a really big theme in this episode. And um, so Keely, uh, Roy is just not giving her any space. He just wants to be around her 24-7. She's his only friend. He loves her. (laughs) He loves her. She is his cat's pajamas. So, um, and Keely is finding it really, really difficult to communicate her needs. So I know we are... Um, you know, we are in our forties era right now, but did, when you were younger, did you ever go through a period where it was really difficult for you to communicate your needs and how did you get over it? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I am over it, but, <laughs> Same. um, one thing that I remember in this is is this saying um that a coworker used to share with me is like um a complaint is just a poorly worded request so when you mm. might be getting annoyed with other people complaining think about like what is it that you're actually asking for and I do this with my kids too like when they're complaining I'm like okay so tell me what it is that you would need or what do you need different right but bring this back to me when I couldn't um exp- to say what I needed or the boundaries I would do it through complaining because I didn't mm, interesting. feel, which is not good either because that's annoying. Um, but I didn't know how to ask for what I needed. And so it would come out as I would either wait too long and then blow up, but it would, it would sound like a complaint for sure until I got better at saying, okay, what is it that I'm actually requesting and asking for here? Oh, that's brilliant. That's I'm, I just wrote that down by the way. Like that's, that's beautiful advice for like motherhood, working with people, relationship, all the things. That's beautiful advice. My lesson on this was um, actually when I started teaching fierce conversations. And so in, in fierce conversations, it allows you to kind of evaluate the conversations that you have in your life. So they have a really beautiful quote that is like the gradually, the gradualies in your life lead to your suddenlies. So like that quote changed my life because I was raised by parents that were divorced. So like divorce is the biggest fear of mine. It's always been my fear as I was a child. And then, but if you take that notion and you put it into relationships, it, it makes it so that you can have power in your relationships because relationships don't fail overnight. Divorce does not happen overnight. It happens from missed conversations and by like by, so like what I would do whenever I was younger is I, w- I didn't know how to talk about what I needed. I didn't know how to talk about whenever things hurt my feelings. So I would qualify everything. I'd be like, well, is that important enough to bring up? 
Like Mm -hmm. my husband did this one little thing, but I'm going to let that slide. It's not important enough. Like you can't do that. Like you need to be like, Hey, that happened and that hurt my feelings. My feelings are valid. And the more that you talk about things, the stronger relationships get. Right. So Mm -hmm. like that, like I had, Oh my gosh. I mean, this was like the hardest, hardest thing for me to learn. Um, But I also think that uh, I think that from like a woman's perspective, it's, I I think a lot of people share in that, that like being able to actually communicate like what I need, just like we see with Keely, right? Like she's, Mm -hmm. she's so scared if she says something that he's going to like run out the door, which he actually does, which is ironic because like women are supposed to be the emotional ones, but we're always scared to tell men things because they're going to have an emotional reaction. But so she's scared to talk about her feelings because she thinks he's going to leave her. And then Roy, and then what does Roy do, Virginia? Okay, well, Roy won. First of all, he finally it finally clicks for him in having a conversation with Jamie of all people because they're talking about not crowding another fellow player and trusting the fellow teammate to know what's best, and that's when it clicks for Roy, and he like it's like, oh fuck, and then just like storms off the field because he <laughs> it clicks right and. Jamie wasn't talking about that very, his relationship, but it was this parallel and it, he got it. So he went, bought a bunch of candles, borrowed his niece's little like light thing that, she, you know, does like a little disco-y thing on the ceiling, got rose petals and set up this really gorgeous tub for Keeling was like, you are not going to see me for three hours. <laughs> and I'm sorry. And he's like, Siri, play the Roy is too dumb to understand what Keely needs playlist or something like that. It's so um, beautiful. <laughs> and I think that was where he, his, his initial reaction when he was hurt, he took it personally. But then when he was like, Oh, it's not personal. It's just like, of course she needs this. It's not like about me. Um, and because he loves her so much, he's willing to do anything for her. Right? Like it, w- Once it was in that frame, he got it. Yeah. And to, and to wrap up this episode, that is evidence that they are actually speaking to a woman's perspective and experience because that is like <laughs> being listened to and someone actually like listening to you and saying, I, I misjudged. I misheard. I was only thinking about myself. Now I want to meet you halfway. Nothing is more attractive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, that's all we want. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, everybody. So th- we'll share our address where you can send us candles and roses. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. I don't care about that. I just want to be listened to. I'm my husband does a great job. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay, everybody. Well, this is a great episode. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez, who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.